Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rokraut. We have arrived at the end of Oscar season. That's all over, which is absolutely nuts. We are here to recap everything that went down last night, which was a bit bizarre, I will say. Mm -hmm. But before we get into all of that, we'd like to welcome back one of our returning guests to the pod, Bennett Prosser. Welcome. Hi. Uh, You saying next year's Oscars (laughs) just... I I think I lost a couple (laughs) seconds of my life. Like, look, I I don't know what happened. I don't know where I went. Um, I can't even fathom doing this again, Mm -hmm. as we do every year. But um, I'm happy to be here (laughs) to talk about this past year's. And then... Of course, I'm excited for next year's. I don't know what I'm saying. I I'm, I was already thinking about, like, what do I do next? I start watching 2021 films exactly. is what I do next. So very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome back. And we already got a little preview into maybe some of next year's contenders during the telecast. So we are well on our way. But yes, I'm like, we need zero thought of Oscars for, like, at least a couple days. Like, I just need a little break. A couple days. I need a couple of weeks. <laughs> I might need like a month. <laughs> but yeah, we're heading into the shortest Oscar season, really, that we've had, especially compared to this really long one that we just had and now is officially done. From longest to shortest. So at least until then, let's kind of recap last night. So the big winners, just to go over again, we had The Father winning Adapted Screenplay And then for original screenplay, we had Promising Young Woman. For supporting actor, Daniel Kaluuya. Supporting actress, Yunya Jung. Actor, Anthony Hopkins. And actress, Frances McDormand. For best director, we had Chloe Zhao. And for best picture, we had Nomadland. So some of those, if you've been listening to our Oscar contender series, were probably not surprises and others maybe were. So we'll get into all of those. But I think just to start out, Generally, what did you both think of the format of this Oscar show? Pre-show, how it was set up, what did you all think? I actually really liked how this one went. I think if you're going to put on a show in COVID, or at least planning it in the depths of COVID before we really knew that at this point we'd be kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, that planning a small, intimate show where you're really celebrating the people in the room. And it felt like it was such a smaller scale, which I appreciated. Yeah, I wasn't too phased by them not having Oscar clips. I loved how personal it was. The first few presenters really brought us into that room and the energy. I actually really liked the pre-show. And then knowing that Steven Soderbergh was going to make this look like a movie, I loved the intro with Regina King walking in. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun tonight and it kind of lost energy for me a bit through but at the same time it flew by and it was 10:45, and I was like holy crap we have a couple categories left like how is this almost over and then it went late but I think overall like what they tried to do wasn't terrible but there were also some not so great moments which I know we'll also be talking about soon so how did you feel about it Sophia so when it first started I thought 
this venue is beautiful. I loved seeing Regina King, who of course looked like a goddess, just walking in with this tracking shot. I loved all of that. And I thought it was off to a good start, especially with her. I did love the intimate feel of it and how it kind of recalled those old Oscar ceremonies of what it probably felt like to go to the Oscars, maybe in the 40s, before it was this giant televised crazy thing at the Dolby Theater. But I did miss the clips in the montages, and I did feel that in a year where we weren't able to go back to movie theaters, I wanted some of that like movie magic injected back into this. And I think that, you know, maybe not showing clips is okay, but there needs to be some consistency. I was kind of confused why sometimes they would show clips and like for the international films and for documentary and for best picture, of course, which I think we'll get to, but then like not showing what the costumes looked like for costume design, not showing production design, those things. I think if you're just a casual viewer who hasn't seen all of the movies, those are things I think that do draw you in as a viewer who maybe hasn't been paying attention to this stuff in the detail that we have. So I did miss some of that and I think just my own nostalgia and my longing for being in a movie theater wanted a little bit of that energy and that vibe of the ceremony, and I did miss that. It felt like, for better or worse, they anticipated that ratings would be low, the mainstream audience probably had not seen many of these films, and that the people who are watching are the diehard Oscar fans, like Mm -hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. who have seen all the movies or you're part of the industry you've seen the films and it seemed like uh, again for better or worse it was one that really celebrated the people in the room and it seemed to be for them more than it was mm-hmm. for the audience i really liked that as we're all people who have looked probably way too closely into all of these films and when you talk about pinocchio's costumes we can picture them we don't need the image I think hearing about each of the individuals was a really nice thing for them and for for the audience like us. I think there was an opportunity to do something like a split screen where you can, you know, maybe half the screen is showing the images while the other half is that camera roaming person to person. I really liked how they had the camera on the people, especially all the craftspeople. Usually it's just a couple names listed in a smaller font under the title of the film Mm -hmm. when they're talking about the sound editors. I guess the sound people so i did like that i think especially at the start i don't think that that mindset was successfully carried through to the end but i was really down for it as it was going on i liked the mood of it i did like that how they were showing the craftspeople because normally i feel like it really is this like they're just showing sketches of what the set looks like and then we only end up seeing the winners who are just like rows and rows back and like their journey up to the stage and those are the only people that we see in those below the line categories. So I did like that, how they were showing all of them at their tables. I almost expected the photos in the background, I don't know if you guys noticed this, to change as they were showing each person. Because I think mm-hmm. I would have liked, you know, I say that I didn't miss the clips, but when they showed Quo Saida, I was like, oh, I want more of this. Like, mm-hmm. those are the moments I really like. And especially for Pinocchio and makeup. I was like, show us, like, I want to know more behind the scenes stuff that I still couldn't find on a press website. And that's like the fun part of the Oscars is seeing the production design sketches that they show on screen. So I really think having expected a really highly produced show that maybe they would have done voiceover here or done something else for the viewers that they also could have done for the audience there. 
Going back to the pre-show, what did you both think about having the songs pre-recorded and playing then as opposed to being a part of the main show like they usually are? So going back to what you said earlier about super fans watching the Oscars and we are different than the general public, which the numbers came out today for viewership of the Oscars and it plummeted like 50 to 60 percent there was less than 10 million people which is maybe the lowest ever (laughs) um i think so Mm -hmm. so that's telling me that people weren't interested in watching and if they're not interested in watching the oscars they're not going to be interested to watch the pre-show either and i was kind of running around i just made the husevic performance by luck and it was incredible and i loved seeing it and that was like good hype for the actual telecast. But if you're not sitting there watching the hour and a half long pre-show, then you might miss them. And then if you don't really know who all of the nominees are, you're going to be like, oh, I don't know that song because I didn't see it. So I think I can see both sides here. But generally, I liked that the songs were more produced. They were done outside on rooftops and like beautifully set. How do you both feel? Do you agree or not? I'm happy that they found a way to have the songs performed in full, even if it wasn't during the main telecast. It seems like a good compromise that if they're not going to have them in the telecast, they had them elsewhere and they were still shown. With previous years at the Oscars, they've either performed none of the songs or performed one or two of them randomly, only if they're like a big name. And they've been really inconsistent about how those have been on the telecast. So I think... If you're going to compromise and take them out, then I was glad that they all got a big production number. And especially the Husevic one and Fight For You, those had tons of people and were like, I really liked watching those. So yeah, I think I was content with how it was in the pre-show. This is, you know, not the category for me, but I think that having them in the pre-show, that's the most I've enjoyed the song performances. I personally like them at the beginning, but I do think if... The Oscars want to increase their ratings in the future. They will want to think about bringing back a host, bringing back an opening number, and putting those musical performances back in. I will say, though, this year, I liked that some of the speeches got to be a little bit longer because, you know, that wonderful Thomas Vinterberg speech, which we can talk a little more about later, I think things like that. You don't get that if you're having to stick to a schedule with five songs that are performed and everything that comes with that. Yeah, just the anxiety of watching someone try to wrap up their emotional speech while strings are slowly growing in volume, like behind them or underneath them. It added to that intimacy and kind of delicacy of letting people talk. They were probably given advice or kind of a request to try to keep their speech under a certain amount of time. But I know Questlove said that he was instructed not to play anyone off or cut anyone off with his music. So people like Thomas Vinterberg got to go long, but it was worth it. And that's what you that's what happens when you let them say everything that they want to say. And taking the songs out of the show definitely allowed more time for that. It also had an impact that the songs and the singers themselves were not necessarily all you know they're not superstars or going to be draws for people to watch the show i think if if something like no time to die had come out this year and billy eilish is going to perform that's not going to be in the pre-show they would have been totally like changed it around and gotten those to be as part of the actual show so i think that had something to do with it too 
Well, she'll be there next year. We know that. <laughs> Grammy award winning No Time to Die before the film has even come out. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper would not be performing at a pre-show on, on a rooftop alone. Like that just wouldn't happen. <laughs> that moment of them being on stage and looking at each other and getting that close up is, I think, mostly due to the fact that it was during the show and everybody was watching them mm-hmm. in the Dolby Theater. So I guess it's hard and like you could probably do like huge productions like This Is Me, but it's also fun to see it done on the same stage that all the other songs are done on. So fans of movie musicals, next year, I don't think anyone will have to worry about this. I think that the songs will probably go back into the telecast because we have In the Heights, West Side Story coming out. Like we have really big musical numbers coming. Annette. Oh, don't get me started, Bennett, on Annette. All five original (laughs) song nominees. Please. So now I think as we move through the show, we're going to talk about the good, what we really liked about the ceremony, some of our favorite moments. Then we'll be talking about some surprise or maybe strange wins as we think about the season. And then at the end, we will get into the bad and our least favorite moments from the ceremony. So what was your favorite moment last night? I think like a sentimental one. I mean, Chloe making history and winning Best Director was amazing to see and really emotional and I wish that it was celebrated more and she got a full standing ovation and it was you know like a raucous moment that I think we sometimes get at Oscar ceremonies but seeing her go up there I was very emotionally moved and overwhelmed and I think that the whole season we you know she'd been winning everything so we knew it was going to happen but I think actually seeing it happen and thinking about the weight of that her being the first Asian American woman to win the second woman ever to win that award in the Oscars very long history was incredibly moving and overwhelming. And I mentioned this before when we've talked about Chloe, but I think just envisioning a bunch of, you know, yes, the ratings really plummeted, but somewhere, even if it's just on YouTube, a little girl will see a video of her speech and will be inspired to be a filmmaker. And that is just, I mean, that's more valuable than anything really. So my favorite moment that I think absolutely stole the show, saved the show was Glenn Close with this odd guess the song. Was it nominated little thing that they did? And (laughs) she was fantastic. (laughs) Talk about committing to the bit. Truly. Yeah. And he was like, oh, she's not going to know this. And she was like, hold up. This is from this movie. And then she was like, oh, this is Da Butt. And she gets up and starts dancing. It's just the most incredible moment. I will probably remember that the most from this Oscars. I love that moment so much. But I will say the things that they put that woman through without giving her an Oscar, like that was fully staged. And she was like, yeah, I'm game. I will do it. I will do it for you for this bit. Like, just give her her Oscar. And she, she looked like she was off book, too, for, for telling the oh whole story God. of that song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this has been, uh, like, verified or not, but it sounds like her actually standing up and doing the dance was unscripted and actually mm-hmm. a surprise. And I don't know if that is the real <laughs> dance that she did or if she just stood up and shook her butt. But the room <laughs> explodes and that was a lot of fun. Well, and that segment, too, was just, at first, I really thought, okay, what are we doing? This segment should have been an hour 
one, maybe like 90 minutes in, you do this bar yeah. trivia segment. But we're doing it with like four categories left. What is going on? At that point, I was just so antsy and I wanted to get to the end. So I just thought it was an odd placement. But luckily, I think she came through and really made it a great moment. I think another fun moment that didn't really fit or was just oddly placed was Harrison Ford's reading of the Blade Runner comments. I mean, it was great. Like, don't get me wrong. But in terms of everything that they did, it was like, why did we choose this? I think it it made sense once you realized that it was Blade Runner and that he was presenting for editing. But it was a little long and in Harrison Ford fashion, um, not entirely intelligible. Just really gruff. When I remember things that I liked, it's something that happens in the show during other years, too. But for some reason, I just the intimate setting of of this show made it stand out more but that is when the actors in the films that are winning get very emotional about the craftspeople who are winning Mm -hmm. and that they're getting the spotlight viola davis like screaming and crying when makeup and hair styling costume won for ma rainey's black bottom the couple close-ups of carrie mulligan when emerald vanilla was giving her speech for original screenplay and there were a few others but i don't know if it was just the fact that we knew where everyone was sitting and the camera could find them consistently and easily that those kind of like outward displays of emotions for people who were not winning were things that i remember that i really liked So another moment I really liked was Yoon Jung's speech, which Mm -hmm. we also knew she was going to win, but I think very, very deserved. She's had like a 54-year acting career, which is incredible. She made it funny, as always. You know, we were wondering what she was going to do here after her BAFTA snobby comment. (laughs) And I think saying, you know, this is all the hard work that Mommy put in, and I thought that was really sweet. And how she said that all five of those performers were worthy and were doing very different things and it was just luck Mm -hmm. that she was the one who got the most votes that was very generous and humble of her and very nice and she in the way that she said the british were snobbish she said that this was american hospitality so it's good to know that that's what we're known for (laughs) yes and mentioning brad pitt and glenn i think she's just the sweetest lady and i loved seeing her win Well, I have to talk about Brad Pitt. I mean, (laughs) usually each year, the previous acting winners come back to present the acting categories. So I just was so excited for Brad Pitt to give her her award. So he was an executive producer on Minari, and she gets her Oscar, and she's like, Mr. Pitt, finally. And she said, like, where have you been? Like, it's nice to meet you. (laughs) Because she hadn't met him on set or anything which I thought was just the perfect bit of humor from her and exactly what I was hoping for, for her to start out her speech. So if you listen to our Oscars coverage this year and Golden Globes, it's no surprise that I was thrilled that Frances McDormand won Best Actress. I was very, very excited. I really, truly would have been happy for any of them, but Frances was my favorite, and I do think this is, for me at least, the best acting quartet since 2007, when we had Daniel Day-Lewis for There Will Be Blood, Marion Cotillard, Tilda Swinton, Javier Bardem. I think this is the best that we've had since, Um, when we think about all four winners and just the performances that they gave. 
And I think that when I think about Francis, because they switched up the order, which we'll talk about, obviously, Best Picture came first. So she got to give her speech there. And she was the only person the entire ceremony who mentioned movie theaters. Like she gave me that little piece that I wanted of like, go see this on the biggest screen possible. And like one day we'll be shoulder to shoulder again, go see all of these films. And then I didn't even realize what she did at first, but she howled like a wolf Mm -hmm. at the end for Michael Wolf Mm -hmm. Snyder, the sound mixer who passed away. And I thought that that was just like a very poignant moment from the Nomadland team while also just having that classic Francis humor and spirit to it. And I really loved that. And then, I mean... She went up to accept Best Actress and she quoted Macbeth. Like, I just love this woman. (laughs) She said, I have no words. My voice is in my sword. I loved that. And I know it's like, it's a short speech and maybe people wanted more, but it was just perfectly Francis. And this, I think, is something that we never see. We never see films win Best Picture that have a woman at the center, specifically one who's in her 60s, that doesn't really have a love interest, that's a project directed by a woman of color, it's unheard of. It's never happened before. Because Nomadland was also your number one of the year, right? Has that happened for you recently, that your number one one best picture? I guess Parasite. I mean, not since All About Eve, but I wasn't alive back then. <laughs> I mean, it was. Parasite was what I was rooting for. So it it's the second year in a row that that's happened. And I think, I mean, both wins are historic. That one, I think, was a little bit more fun. But this one, Mm. it did feel, like, perfect for the year that we're in. I do think Parasite is better, but... (laughs) Maybe that part of her speech is just a little trailer for the Macbeth we're getting later this year. Yeah, there's part of that that I was like, oh, like, this whole award season, we're relitigating her win for three billboards. Mm -hmm. If that hadn't happened, then, you know, all these other domino effects but yeah there's the thought of oh she'll be back you know probably right away with playing lady Macbeth. Mm -hmm. i mean she's now the next daniel day lewis he had a similar win structure and i think it's just like only hitting me now that she has three lead actress oscars Mm -hmm. and the only other person to do that is katherine hepburn and i think the fact too that she won on a type of performance that is never recognized Mm -hmm. and without a campaign. I mean, she kind of, I guess you can say, Mm -hmm. piggybacked off of the Nomadland campaign and that being the Best Picture frontrunner, but this was the first awards show the woman showed up to all season, and she had her mask on and was avoiding the camera for a majority of it. Yeah, so so you take out all of those extra things and makes you think that the voters were voting from their eyes, like, mostly on merit and their love of the film and her... She's so such an integral part of the film, not only as the actress but as the as a producer. But you can't. I don't think right. you can really think of Nomadland without thinking of her. I totally agree. And so Nomadland won three Oscars, which was the most of any film that night. It won picture, director, and actress, and a bunch of other films won two, and a bunch won one. So it was a real spreading of the wealth. I think we, we see that a lot in the nomination stage. And I think this year, maybe more than ever in the winning stage as well. And to kind of like cap off the 
good things about the ceremony. Every Best Picture nominee won at least one Oscar or two, except for The Trial of Chicago 7. And that was such a gift. As we were getting to the end, I, I was tracking them, and I thought, okay, recently you don't get steamrollers, right? You you don't have Titanic. You don't have Return of the King coming through and winning 11 Oscars. You have a lot of Oscars winning a handful, um, especially spread out among the Best Picture nominees in recent years. Usually all or the vast majority of Best Picture nominees get one at least one Oscar. So I was tracking throughout the night, and as we got near the end, it was like, okay, Trial of Chicago 7 hasn't won any. All that's left is song and picture, and either would be a all-time low so song song goes to judas and i was like there's no way it's just a winning picture and i was so excited i hate that movie so i i am putting this as a good i know i think you both liked it more than i did but that is a win that i'm taking from the ceremony i mean it was my number eight if i ranked the best Mm -hmm. picture nominees so i'm also happy that it didn't win anything i totally agree i was so stressed when editing came around. I was like, this is it. Are they getting their Oscar? Mm -hmm. And I was so happy when they didn't and Sound of Metal got it instead. And I think after this whole season, you know, we were trying to figure out what a number two would be. And there were so many different answers. I didn't really think picture was going to happen for trial. So that for me, after editing, I was like, oh, thank God it's over. It's getting zero, which... Yes, maybe I liked it more than you did, but I am very happy that (laughs) it came home empty-handed. Nick, I know that you're a fan of Hear My Voice by Celeste. You like the the chorus? Just her heart purse. Like, that was beautiful. And then the bridge and then the chorus. Absolutely not. So let's talk about some of the other winners and maybe some of the surprise wins or strange things that happened throughout the night. My little Fincher film that could, Mank, won cinematography over Nomadland, which was crazy. I didn't want it to happen. It just happened, and everyone looked at me, and they were like, Mank, this is your movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not what I wanted. I, I think production design would have been great on its own. Yeah. But it's okay. It's, I, I, like, don't show me stills of Mank and tell me what I think of the cinematography, because I'm not going to have a good time, but... I think if you tell me, you know, years down the road, like, oh, remember Mank at one for cinematography and for production design, I'd say, okay, that makes sense. That's the type of film. It was a very designed film. So I, th- I think it tracks that those are the ones that it won kind of in the history books. Poor Eric Messenger Schmidt going up you to mean the stage. Messer Smiter. Yes. <laughs> and she did it twice. Poor Halle Berry. Twice differently, too. Yeah, this was the strange for me were all of the butchered names throughout the night. But I think this was the worst because when they showed him on camera, Eric Messerschmidt, his wife looked over at him when she screwed up his name and he just like kind of laughed it off. But like, imagine sitting there and being like, Halle Berry just said my name wrong. Like, mm-hmm. how slightly yeah. embarrassing is that? There was um, a moment when Riz Ahmed was reading the live action short yes. titles and he said the letter oh. <laughs> and yes, it cuts with them and they're like that uh, too uh, <laughs> no room <laughs> so, a strange win we can call it strange um kind of on the flip side of me being very happy that 
the trial of chicago 7 didn't get anything is that my octopus teacher won documentary feature so to take us all back the first time that i heard about this movie was last summer on this podcast when every other episode nick would say have you heard of this weird documentary about the octopus and sophia would say yeah is that a thing or something along those lines my octopus teacher do you know what this is i will not watch it (laughs) and i don't know how you actually felt about it i watched it a week ago and it is heinous and i am really upset that it won i think it is a b-tier nature documentary how do you guys think that we got here to it winning over the highly critically praised 14 other films on the shortlist? That's what's always been strange about it to me is that when I think of documentary filmmaking, I usually want to see like stories that are told with a sense of urgency and kind of fits into the current zeitgeist. Like that in a dream world is what gets nominated. And this was one that just did not fit that and you know in the short categories I think that a lot of times it seems like voters want to be hit over the head with really depressing material like a short about the Mm. holocaust but in this category it seemed that people wanted just a watch that was emotional but not about like a heavy subject matter in another year I would think that Crip Camp would be the one to fill that mold as a very watchable, appealing film with archive footage. And I don't remember if there are talking heads, but available on Netflix, not about the easiest of things, but it didn't make you feel bad. Yeah, I loved seeing some of the cast members there on the red carpet. Mm -hmm. And I think the choice, I just won't understand it. But it sort of aligns with like Free Solo a couple of years ago, where it wasn't this like, down and dirty really impactful film it was you know this guy's story and then in the early 2000s we had march of the penguins which is maybe like the last nature film that i think is really memorable i'm not sure i'll return to it like i understand what it was trying to do but it was like a lovely netflix cry that i had one night and then moved on from the fact that collective didn't win here that would have been my push way more aligned in there usual wins i would say but alas keeping an ear open over the next few months when nick starts mentioning some (laughs) random netflix documentary (laughs) that people think is weird and i put it off and you put it off so another surprise moment came in best original song with her winning who i didn't expect to win i think she was my third choice but She is now the youngest living winner at 23 years old, which is mind-blowing. I had no idea she was only 23. And I wonder if this affected her winning, but maybe her SNL performance really did help her. I mean, obviously it didn't help Carrie, but there were a few categories last night where I was like, oh, wow, because it wasn't my second choice winning. Did either of you predict her? I did not think she was going to win. I was really happy it was nominated. It's maybe my favorite song of the bunch in the sense of I will continue to listen to it after this year. I think it's a really cool vibe. I wanted Husafik to win, but I don't listen to it all the time. 
I actually did have it predicted at one point. Unfortunately, I changed my prediction to speak now, anticipating an Oscar for Leslie Odom Jr. I maybe should have known better considering her just won at the Grammys very recently and Judas and the Black Messiah is a Best Picture nominee. Like maybe that carried it. But yeah, it was interesting this year that song wasn't a locked up category, that it was something where there were a lot of plausible options. I think that people were tossing around Husevic and really rooting for it. That's what I wanted to win, too. Um, people were talking about EOC and Diane Warren maybe getting her Oscar. And of course, like Leslie Odom Jr., like, he's won tons of awards at other ceremonies and of course like has a lot of star power. So it was really up in the air, but I'm happy with her winning this category it was really between giving leslie or her the half egot and now her said in a comment last night that she's working with brandy on a broadway show so she like fully expects to egot at some point and that will be incredible all right so now let's get into the bad some of our least favorite parts of the ceremony and what we think just did not go well what did you guys not like about the ceremony or what did you think went poorly do either of you have anything other than the last 30 minutes because we can we can dive into that final act but if we want to touch on anything else right now might be the time let's just go full speed into the into the crash okay that was the last 30 minutes or so Okay, so I'm going to try to wrap my head around it, because that's what I was doing for the past 24 hours, of each moment that, whether planned or not, just went as it shouldn't have. So as we've been talking about how nice we thought a lot of the components of the bulk of the show, the start and middle of the show, were where winners had time to give the speeches that they wanted... We had the humanitarian awards that maybe took a little too much time, but were nice to include. That you see with about 15 minutes left of the scheduled show, we still have Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress to present. And Angela Bassett walks on with In Memoriam behind her. I'm thinking at that point, how in the world are they going to get through all this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So In Memoriam happens, and clearly they do both agree that they probably had a extended version and an on-the-fly version that would take less time and they just had to press play on that one what happened with in memoriam you guys well it wasn't even the sped up version the entire time because it the cuts went to the beat of the song so i was like okay they're giving some more time than others and then like two-thirds away through they were like we got to finish we got to get through this you know we're not going to make it we have eight minutes left now and they even skipped over people which is so sad. While it was going, I thought maybe are they getting a lot more people in than usual? I, I know the past year has been right. rough on mm-hmm. all accounts. Is there just more more people to fit in? And I don't know if people have tallied it and compared it, but by the end, I didn't think so anymore. I mean, that was how it felt to me at first. I thought, okay, wow, COVID happened this year and a lot of people in the industry passed away and how hard that was and you know seeing some of those names at the beginning I kept having moments where I was like oh my gosh like we lost so many people this year and then it was like we were on a ride at an amusement park all of a sudden I it was going so fast that I could not read the names fast enough it was like boom 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 Mm -hmm. boom boom so Mm -hmm. quick it was like it reminded me of like the 
in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when they're in that like tunnel from hell and all these like images are flashing very <laughs> quickly at right. them yeah. and no one knows what's going on. <laughs> That's how it felt. And that is not how an in memoriam should feel. No, I started to think to myself, like, wouldn't this be better, like, with the name scrolling? And I was like, how sad is that to have, like, a scrolling in memoriam where you can't, like, focus a single slide on one person? And I was like, that's not right. But it was so chaotic. This, to me, is just something where, like, you go over time. Like, you just Mm -hmm. give everyone the same amount of time. And I do think, I know we've talked about Billie Eilish before, but last year... When she sang yesterday to the in memoriam, that type of song works better with something like this because each person kind of got the same amount of time. You didn't have this rapid crescendo near the mm-hmm. end where it was just like, okay, we got to get through all these names. It was so chaotic Rude. and off-putting. Yeah. So so okay, so this is happening, and I'm feeling my pulse quicken. Right, like I'm like, there's so much left. They're speeding through this. This is a mess. How are they going to do everything else? And then I see Kyle Buchanan, the New York Times critic, tweet something to the effect of, my understanding is there might be something that's about to happen with the categories or something like that. It was some something like, there's a production note that is about to occur. So then you see Rita Moreno walk out. And you know that Renee is going to present, you know that Joaquin's going to present, and Rita, of course, is a solid person to present this picture. They always get a legend. So she walks out, and it's like, oh my god, they're doing Best Picture now. What were your reactions? The second this happened, I thought to myself, damn, they're saving Chadwick for the end. Like, that was, like, the thought that just, I was like, okay, this is why they're doing this. And I didn't because of the order switch, like have time to process that we were about to find out our next best picture winner. Mm -hmm. I was so thrown by that change that I, I couldn't even process anymore. Could trial the Chicago seven, just win picture. Like could the father or sound of metal or like something else somehow surprise. It just like, couldn't even get to that space because I was so thrown by what it meant for the rest of the show. For me, I was like, is Best Actress going to be last? Because they listen to the people, and this is what everybody's been talking about for the past month. (laughs) And we mentioned this before about the clips, but I felt like having the eight clips together here really slowed things down. They usually have them spaced out throughout the night. And at this point, I knew I was like, okay, we have two or three minutes until we find out. But I was thrown aback. And I think the switching of the categories took some of the celebration off of No Man Land. And I love seeing Linda May there. I love seeing Swanky there and coming up on stage. And I think that was an amazing moment. And this is when we get Franz Howell for Wolf. And I think that was just so touching. But I'm not sure I've still even processed that it's won. And they probably wanted to keep this a surprise. But leading up to the Oscars, I'm like, okay, what's the order? Mm -hmm. You know, why didn't they release notes of what was going to happen to maybe entice people to watch? So Best Picture happens. Chloe gives her speech, which was great. But I agree that there's a bit of wind out of the sails when you know that the show's not over. And they're not all getting up and saying goodbye after everyone goes on stage. 
and I think adding to what the, the narrative that I have going on is just increasing chaos by every minute. That when part of the speech, when Chloe handed it off to Fran, and she goes, up next, this is your Fern. And Fran goes up and snaps a little bit at Chloe and says, I'm not Fern, I'm Fran. That goes back to, there were reports of how during the making of the film that Francis and Chloe had some disagreements in how involved Francis's life should have been in the film. Chloe originally wanted some of Francis's family members in the film and Fran pushed back against a lot of that. So I think there was a moment of Francis's honestly chaotic, neutral energy coming in and kind of like snapping at Chloe. And then the howl, like, like I think in retrospect and kind of knowing what that was, is touching in the moment of us kind of panicking about what's going on. Why are we doing actor and actress? Suddenly Francis is howling on stage. So then Renee comes up and I don't know why she did best actress. That That's a tiny quibble, but... That's like just such a strange minor break of tradition. And we're at this point so late in the show, they're cutting everything so short that you don't get the kind of just loving praise that was heaped upon the supporting nominees telling each of their stories and kind of getting applause from the room and taking our time that you don't get that. So Renee is basically like hurriedly reading this copy about each of these nominees and Renee is an actress who needs a lot of time. She's not someone who can read stuff quickly and like, that's not the way that she does it. So Francis wins, gets up there. Whereas I think someone like if maybe if Viola had won, she would have gone up and taken her time, I think, but given a, a like succinct mm-hmm. level setting speech that would have been passionate and emotional and, would have really buffered the whole situation, but you get Fran to go up to get to to kind of not settle anything down, and then Joaquin comes out. He doesn't want to be there. He's presenting the best actor. This is what we've built to. N- none of the actors even get a a mild description. And then Anthony Hopkins wins. Surprise! We accept this award on his behalf. Good night. Cut to black. And then I held my head in my hands for 15 minutes, trying to just settle my heart rate. I mean, just hearing that, my heart is racing again. It was such a nerve-wracking experience in what was a fairly dry level show. We were taking our time. It was chill. Yeah. So we talked about Best Picture a bit. What makes me really upset is that Nomadland, like I described before, is an historic and groundbreaking win that will go down in history as being the first Best Picture winner directed by a woman of color. It's a huge moment. And additionally, Best Director is typically at the end. And that was way earlier in the show. So... Yes, even though Chloe's speech or even though Chloe's win was apparently a given to people like pundits and, you know, prognosticators, it's still a big moment. And I feel like her big moments were kind of taken away from her and not fully taken away, but just kind of undercut a little bit. And what's unfortunate is that when we think about some of the biggest mix ups in Oscar history, like Barry Jenkins didn't get 
a full Best Picture celebratory moment for Moonlight. Chloe, to me, didn't get to end the show and have this big triumphant moment. We still had more to go. And that is just, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth and it's not worth what the producers thought they were trying to accomplish here. What's hard too about what happened with Actress, in addition to I think what you said about Renee, is that Frances hates the press and she hates celebrity, which to me was what made her performance in Nomadland like that much cooler to witness and to experience. But unfortunately, when you are a living legend who is a little bit chaotic and maybe kind of prickly, having two back-to-back speeches at the end of the night from a person like that, she spoke for 30 seconds, not even. I think what startled me most was that I was expecting a longer speech or a speech like Francis's 2017 win. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We played this speech in our Contenders episode, and I was like, oh, what is she going to do next? And it was just really abrupt. And I think with everything else going on, everything both of you were saying, it just threw me off. And then going into actor, Joaquin came out, and I noticed that that his thumb already had the envelope opened. And he goes, the nominees are, and he like almost starts to open the envelope. And I was like what are you doing? And he read Anthony Hopkins first. And I was like, Oh my God, because they weren't in order. Was there an order for the nominees? Riz Ahmed was second. I think that they, I think Hopkins was first because he was the only one who wasn't there. I I don't know. I think only because they, they showed his photo like immediately. Mm -hmm. So it seemed planned. It seemed like, let's do the person who's not in the room and then let's do everyone who's in the room. But I know what you mean. Maybe he like popped it open read the name regardless it threw me off and i was like oh my god maybe maybe anthony is winning which he did and i felt like joaquin's intro where he was like you know we're all deserving all the nominees are deserving i was like "Uh oh something's happening like he knows something that we don't right now and just why didn't the producers even entertain the idea that Chadwick could lose. Because I'm sure they're sitting on a three-minute legacy timeline clip of Chadwick Boseman Mm. that they didn't get to play. Well, you know who I think made that call. I don't think it was Steven Soderbergh. I think it was Disney. Mm -hmm. I agree. To... To put that at the end. Change the order? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I don't expect Soderbergh to take that risk that they did. There's like the varying levels of cynicism to it that i guess one you know for oscar watchers that's they're making a big assumption because the only reason why they would put best actor at the end was that we're assuming that chadwick is going to win and then okay let's assume that chadwick is going to win so let's put it at the end for what for, for to what end i guess like for what purpose is it so that if chadwick wins earlier in the show they don't lose viewership that everyone who's watching just for chadwick just drops after best actor so it was it a tease to keep everyone still watching was it also i think the main thing thinking that it'll be the big emotional climax the big send-off will be chadwick winning you know presumably his widow or someone else makes a speech on his behalf and then 
like you said, there's like a clip package that leads, you know, ABC out. There was such a like, honestly cynical risk that they took and it didn't pay off. And now they look like a mess. My whole spiel from before is like, there's the things that they couldn't predict. Francis was going to win actress and that Chadwick was going to lose. So there's those components that just added to this whole fervor that was not their fault. But even looking to that, I wouldn't plan, and I keep harping this, I wouldn't plan to have the big climax of the show be Renee and Joaquin. They're not going to sell it. Like, why Why is Joaquin presenting Best Actor? They chose to have Joaquin do this against tradition, against a you know small component of the tradition, and have him deal with the potential risk and fallout. And that's something that I think one of the questions was whether we thought it, it would be better with a host... I think that most of the show was fine without a host. I don't need someone to lead me through. But this is, in this event of how the ending happened, this is a case where having a host to control things the way that Jimmy Kimmel did for the Moonlight La La Land debacle, at least to get on stage and be talking in the mic to wrap things up in a way that felt like it was finishing rather than Joaquin slumping off stage. Yeah, with Questlove being that person to wrap it up, he was almost like the MC of the show, which is odd. But I will say Anthony Hopkins' response today, his, I guess, acceptance speech, <laughs> he did mention Chadwick Boseman. So I thought that I think was the right way to go about it. But we knew he wasn't there. And he's 83. He was asleep. Yeah. It's three in the morning. <laughs> What's so hard is that, like you said, all of this was very avoidable and I think had clear warning signs there. It's like, why are you ending the show with a presenter who hates people? Hates award shows. And the two people who could win this award theoretically are not present. What really bothers me is that it, to me, felt like they were really exploiting Chadwick's death in this situation to give the viewers this emotional moment at the end without considering the Academy's past behavior. There is no guarantee that Chadwick was going to win this award and you can't do something for a moment. Exactly. And then put the family through something like that. And then unfortunately also put Anthony Hopkins, then it puts him in a weird position because this is a man who's 83 years old, who a lot of people are saying gave a career best performance in The Father, and that's not able to be celebrated either. In a way that's different from the Moonlight La La Land piece, where that was just a like series of mistakes that led mm-hmm. to a mess. This was a series of calculated risk that didn't pan out and was all decisions mm-hmm. that were actively made. It's such, like, not a big deal. Like, it, I think, you know, it, it, we're freaking out about it, but this is, mm-hmm. I think I, I talked to some friends at work today, and they asked how the show was, and, like, how do you feel about things? And I was like, oh, well, I'm still recovering. And they were like, oh, did you not like Nomadland? Like, no idea that this is what happened and, and that all this happened. So this is very, very isolated to the kind of core watchers. But, but it, I don't know, that's what the whole lore of the oscars is is the ceremony going well and not staining any of the winners so i think give me five years 
to mull this over and kind of think of it in a way that I don't just think of the moment of the ceremony, but I think back, okay, these are the winners and they won and they were their best performances. And I'm happy with that kind of like how the La La Land Moonlight thing happened, which is not the same, but in the way that I think about that moment now, it's like, okay, it happened and it's still (laughs) such a mess. But I'm able to appreciate the films and not be like, grr, this one or this lost. And it affected my predictions or the night or anything like that. Yeah. And you can think about it kind of independent, like you're saying, independently from the films. Like, I think even yeah. in the moment, I never thought that I would be in a place where I could be like, what won Best Picture in 2016? Oh, it was Moonlight. And and that be it. You know, like, it, I, I felt like in the moment, mm-hmm. I was like, I will never be able to remember who won. There will always be an asterisk. I think, though, that when you still, like, when people think about either of those films, though, it is the La La Land Moonlight thing. I, I think it, we'll see. I, I'm. My thought is that it might have less of a lasting impact, at least because it was a thing that didn't happen, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was, neither of them were, like you said, present. It, it, it was not a visible thing that occurred. Mm-hmm. We don't have any images to tie to it, yeah. except for Joaquin, but that's not going to happen. Also, I think what's hard is that because the producers were so committed to everyone being in person, like Anthony did offer to give an acceptance speech over Zoom because he's 83 and it's a pandemic, and they said no. That's another way that this situation could have been made better, and we wouldn't have just had the dramatic fade to black. And it's just, it's so upsetting because the rest of the show, like, like, we were saying, I really liked, and I really liked the vibe of it, and then it just was a runaway train for the last 30 minutes. That's unfortunate. So I, I, I do hope in five years, I think about the first, you know, two hours of the show. So coming off of this, like, really long season and a very chaotic Oscar ceremony, what's something that you guys think you learned, maybe this season, on our first season of the show, that you want to maybe take into next Oscar season after we take our break, of course. (laughs) This is the closest I've ever looked into each guild ceremony, like each step of the process, predicting nominations for multiple ceremonies, and then looking at those rules and how they vote and trying to predict everything differently. And then all of that culminating in the Oscars. But I think in this way, and how we worked through our contender series and in talking about each of the films individually beforehand, I think that helped me compartmentalize parts of the movie and where it could do well at the ceremony. But I think the other part of it, you know, no matter how in-depth my predictions were and how many times I logged on to Gold Derby to look at, you know, what order this one category is, you still have to remember that there are going to be huge snubs, Delroy Lindo, and not everything is going to work out the way you think it will or the way the critics think they will or looking at stats and, you know, this win means this for this person and it seems like this is what the Academy might do or should do and so I should really put that into consideration. So all of this happens every year, but we still get worked up about it every single year. (laughs) And I felt that so much this season that I think I just kind of have to remind myself to step back and enjoy it. Enjoy the madness. 
enjoy the the numbers game of it all, but also just the spotlight of the season and the energy that the Oscars brings every year. I think what I'm taking away from this year is kind of accepting the fact that all of the efforts that the Academy has done to increase and diversify their membership is having a real impact on the nominations and the wins. Something that I feel like I could have seen last year, I think a lot of people talked about related to Parasite winning as definitely a result of those efforts, but I don't think I believed it or believed that it was maybe more than a fluke. And while I think, you know, they didn't embrace every opportunity to go with the cool international film or the diverse lineup, you did see things like the it was the most racially diverse acting lineup that we've ever had in terms of the nominations. Thomas Vinterberg getting nominated for director, another international you know, big international film getting into best director, that there are some things that I have held on to just in the prediction space of thinking of the old white guard of the Academy that I need to really change my internal logic when I'm thinking of what is an Oscar movie and what is going to be. And I think it's, I think this year, while the landscape of films was a lot different than we expected it to be at the start of the year, I think the resulting nominee list and many of the winners is really kind of like solidifying that for me that I I don't expect us to go back. And another thing I think something we all had to practice this year was letting go a little bit of the certainty that we sometimes have in categories. Um, I'm thinking largely about best actress here that when we get down to the, you know, the week before the Oscars and it is a four actress race, ostensibly that I think everyone was kind of happy in a way that it was not just a someone steamrolling to to the win like it so often is but there was also a lot of stress about it and i think i found that to be very exciting in a way that i maybe didn't expect it to be that we're usually annoyed when when it's the same winner at every ceremony and you know who's going to win and it's all preordained but I i don't think we'd ever really experienced a case of taking that away and having it be like a real anyone's game so Taking into next year and into the future, I I have an excitement for there being a real race in the categories and and hoping that that can happen more in the future. Even if our predictions end up being wrong, I think it's a lot more fun. I really wish Vanessa Kirby had won. One, because she was my vote. I think she was my best actress for for the year bar none. But because then you would have had a different winner at every major ceremony. And I think that is a great way, not only for chaos, but for everyone to get awarded mm-hmm. sure that like even if oscar is like the quote-unquote you know highest honor or, like the best one of them all i think everyone has a trophy at that point and that would be great i love vanessa so i've always had a relationship with the oscars for as long as i can remember and this year i do have to say was the very first time where i've come to an understanding i think with myself and with the organization that the winners and my taste do not always align and do not need to align. And that once I realized, you know, that it's all about campaigns a lot of the time and 
about money and things like that. And I know this is super cynical, but it's just the truth. It's not about taste at the end of the day and that I can like what I like and it doesn't need to be accepted and praised by the Oscars. Once I kind of realized that, I think I had a much easier time with accepting the results of what the nominations were and what the winners were. It was a lot easier for me and I'm definitely going to carry that into the future. Another thing too, I think as far as predicting goes, I remembered this year, I think to keep it fun and that I, I didn't get into the Oscars to predict. I got into the Oscars because I loved them and because I loved the movies and what they were saying about the movies and what that meant for people learning about them in the future. And I think that through our contender series, at first I looked at them very much as, okay, these are a way to break down each category for listeners and think about the guilds and think about what this means for the Oscars and what our predictions will look like. But ultimately what it brought me back to was how important each little aspect of each film really is and that it's not about the predictions it's about all these people coming together to make these things and what goes into that and I'm so grateful that we did that and I think through those I just learned so much and it made me really excited for the films that come next year that we'll get to talk about in that way yes the season has been so long and we've been talking about these movies for months But I'm just, I think, more excited than ever to just move into a new season and not leave these behind, but think about them really fondly looking back as a group of films that we just really dove into and discussed really deeply. This is not goodbye. This is see you down the road. (laughs) Nice. Okay, so really quickly in our last little bit here, we'll talk about our award season draft, which has finally come to a close. (laughs) (laughs) The awards draft that really forced me to think about my own competitiveness and that, yes, even though I want to be right and to win in certain situations, that still isn't enough for me to want the trial of the Chicago 7 to win (laughs) points for me. (laughs) But you really beat us by a lot (laughs) because you had two Best Picture nominees, which is crazy. Like when you think about Minari and Mank. I really didn't foresee that happening, especially an Oscar thing. I thought it was going to be, you know, I'm going to pull a lot of points from the smaller award ceremonies. And the fact that they did get in there, I was just, I'm very shocked, happily so, but the surprise one here was Eric Messerschmidt for you Mink actually that. winning. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but I will say I am surprised and happy I won something. I think <laughs> next time if we do this, it will go much more smoothly, I think, just because things won't be omitted once we choose them. And I think we'll have a different format as well. So I'm in for round two. <laughs> I am too. I'm, you know... <laughs> okay. Cassie seeking revenge here. Um, (laughs) I think we've worked out the kinks, and I also think we should include more people. So we'll figure out what that means, too. Maybe expand it a little bit for next year. And maybe this will be my chance to have West Side Story as as my horse. With our movies that got like pushed out, Bennett, I was thinking about that today. I was like, oh my God. Will I still get Dune in the French Dispatch next year? Will someone take them from me? Will you get West Side Story? How will that work? Stay tuned. (laughs) 
So this is it. We made it. This is the end of our first season of this podcast, Oscar Wilde. And I'm so proud of our little baby. (laughs) I think this has been a crazy commitment, but also a lot of fun. And I've watched way more movies than maybe I ever would have expected or movies that have been on my watch list for a really long time. And I finally got to. So I'm really excited for what comes next what movies we watch what movies you want us to talk about where predictions go in different seasons with film festivals and ceremonies so there's a lot coming and I'm very happy to to end this first season I think on a really high note yeah I think this podcast really does feel like a little baby I mean all of the care and time that we put into (laughs) all of it and I really do I mean thank you Nick I'm like very happy that I mean we've been friends for so long but that we can like work on this together and also just like thank you to all the listeners this really got me through the pandemic like 2020 was a really tough year and having I feel like I'm gonna cry this is so weird literally please you're gonna make me cry (laughs) you need to not (laughs) Sorry. Um, But having something that I've like thought about doing for a long time, but just like haven't done, it made 2020 bearable. And it like not that I stopped loving movies. I definitely didn't. I've always loved them. But it really just it made me love them in a way that I just I didn't really see coming. And I will always be grateful to to you and to our guests and to our listeners. I just, my heart is very full thinking about our little baby, Oscar Wilde. (laughs) (laughs) We have this thing we can come back to every week. And I think, you know, the discussions we've had, I'm glad that I can have them with somebody who loves movies as much as I do. So I appreciate that we've both made it through everything and, you know, we're so committed to it. I think we, when we first conceived of this podcast, like Parasite ended up winning Best Picture and now we have Nomadland. So maybe we're on like a lucky streak and we'll have another good one. Knock on wood. But very excited to get to next season and share more films and more of our ideas with all of you. And Bennett, this is your sixth appearance. (laughs) Is that right? Or something. I don't know. Leaving everyone else in the dust. That's all I know. Yeah. Thank you both for having me on as many times as you did. And congratulations on finishing your first season. I think as both a occasional guest and, you know, longtime listener, I have been really happy to hear you guys talk about things every week and get to hear Nick's voice all the time and get to know Sophia so much better that I think it's great. And my dad loves it too. So really excited to see you. Thank you so much for being along on the ride with us. And I think you have more historical knowledge than I do about films. I guess both of you, really. So I appreciate that when you come on and the perspectives you give. Yeah, Bennett. It also, like, I just appreciate someone who has, like, similar taste than I do, like, to be a little shallow. But we like a lot of the same things, which is just really fun um, to get to know another person better who likes really similar things but thinks about them differently. I feel like that's always something that, like makes being a film fan more fun is when you get to know people better who can make you think about the things that you love in a different way. So I really appreciate that about you being on. Oh, thanks guys. 
hopefully it's adding variety into the mix once in a while and it also give me the opportunity to vent about <laughs> some of my opinions when I have them. So I am grateful for that as well. So we're going to be taking a little break. You won't hear from us next week, but we will be back the following week for a very special season two premiere. We will be celebrating an iconic Oscar winner, Shrek, <laughs> which turns 20 this year. I can't wait to talk about it. Amazing. What a season premiere. A season premiere of how the animated feature category started. I think it's so fitting. It's an incredible movie. I would rewatch this over and over and over again. So can't wait to talk about it. Thank you again, Bennett, for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. Stay safe and wear your masks. Yes. Thank you, Bennett, for coming. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay safe and wear your masks. (laughs) 